you know, I thought it was so cool last week when we looked at chapter four, read over it, because really chapter four, you get a lot of the spiritual lessons we've already had. David's not going to allow evil to reign his way up to the kingdom, you know, when they were killing uh, Ishbosheth and all that. So you got that lesson that we kind of already looked at. But in that very beginning, then we got Mephibosheth right in the beginning uh, that we're going to get tied back to in, in chapter nine. Um, but then that beginning part of just making sure our kids are raised not to be quitters. I thought that was great last week, that one little line thrown in there on, on the day we've chosen to make that vow. And then today, as I sit here and think about David's, we call this series Rise of a King. And I think about David's rise to a king, and I think about when it started. You know, I don't know if you guys ever ever really think about David's David's life. I mean, it, it was a tough journey, man. You know, you think about that very first calling he had, you know, by Samuel. And, and he was he was really called to be king right then and there. And it was it was a small thing or a big thing, but in a small moment, a private moment. No different than maybe when Ed might have asked Shannon to marry. Then there was this this thing that happened uh, a couple chapters later where David gets to be king, but he's not the full king yet. He only gets to be king over Hebron because only one tribe was willing to to, to follow suit. And, and the other ones, they they had up this make-believe king of of Ishbosheth, so, so they weren't there. Maybe that was the the wedding. See, so it got a little more, a little more intense, a little more special, a little more bigger. And then there's moments like today for David where he finally gets to be king over everything. And Ed finally gets it. You know, he said, I'm a slow learner. Y'all are as men. He finally gets it. He says, you know what? I don't just need her. We know he's the Lord, but but I don't just need her. I don't just need the, the family and, and friends. I need my church family to keep me accountable because we live in tough times. So while he made his commitment, I hope it falls just like last week where you're going to make a commitment, not only for their marriage, but for every marriage in this room, that we will work to support, encourage, and build them up to the best possible way that we can. For future relationships, that we will work, encourage, and build them up the best that we can. Because that's what the body of Christ is called to do. Okay? So as we look back at King David here, that was just my my tie-in of what, what I, I was sitting there thinking. I was like, Lord, you, you just, you're just pretty cool how you just tie it all. All in for everything. Here's what we get. Verse 1. Let's just jump right into this. We know where we're at. We've been in this series for a while. Verse 1, it says that all the tribes of Israel came to David. Anybody else saying verse 1 was just cool? David didn't have to go to them. David's friends didn't have to go to them. Now, remember, now we just left a chapter. We had multiple chapters before where David's friends were eliminating all the competition to make things happen for David because they thought, I got to make it happen. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we think I got to make it happen rather than just sit back and let the Lord make it happen. Verse one, we get a clear illustration that when the Lord's ready for it to happen, even your enemies will come to you and say, you know what? We've been wrong for a really long time. It's time for us to make you king that you were already supposed to be. Verse one, the tribes of Israel came to David. Now, the first time I read it, I was that excited. Now, the second time I kind of realized something that maybe a lot of us need to have our eyes open on. Isn't it kind of sad that the tribes finally turned to David only when their last choice was taken away? And we think that's sad, but let's be honest. Is it not sad when we only turn to Jesus when everything else that we've turned to just began to crumble and fall away and didn't work out? Right? Isn't it sad that we finally turned to God, but only after... Every other thing that we've tried just didn't work out. It's, I mean, it really is. Now, I'm grateful that they finally do. I'm grateful that, that things are about to finally have an upswing. But, man, let's not let broken, crumbled ideas, man-made ideas, have to crumble before we push ourselves to making Jesus king of our lives like he's supposed to already be. Okay? We get three lessons right here at the very beginning, verses 1 and 2. Two different types of lessons, by the way, because we call David a a representation of Christ. So that'd be the second thing. But three reasons they accept David as king from verses one and two that it says. First one, the elders look at him and say, man, you're bone of our bone and your flesh of our flesh. What are they saying? Well, fancy terms, they're saying you're an Israelite. You're, you're just like us. You're exactly who you're supposed to be. Now, we can look at it at just that, but we can also remember it wasn't very long ago that David had deserted and went to hang out with the Philistines. And they weren't very happy about that. So it's also that the elders are not only saying, hey, you know what? You are one of us. So therefore, you have the, the ability to be one of our leaders. But they're also saying, you know what? We bury the past. You're now bone of bone of bone and flesh of flesh. You're now with us. We don't care about that, that thing that you made. We're, we're embracing you 
back full fold into the group. Because there'll be times that we need to be embraced back in full fold into the group because of dumb decisions that we've made. So just a cool little lesson right there, right? Second thing he says in verses one and two, you were the one who led Israel out and you were the one that brought them in. It's almost like uh, like that moment where you get the dull moment. It's like, man, you've been leading us already. You've been the one that can take care of battle. You've been the one that can win all these wars. You are a mighty warrior. You are a great, great leader. So basically all they're saying is, you know what? We acknowledge the fact that you really are able to lead. So not only are, are you have that blood thing going, what is that relational thing, but, but you really have the ability already. And then the third thing, probably the smartest thing they finally realize. And the Lord said to you, verse 2, and the Lord said to you, you, sh- uh, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. They finally acknowledged the fact that God had called David to this position long, long ago. So here's the three lessons that, that should mark every leader for God's people. And there's probably more if we dive in, but at least from these verses. A leader's got to belong to God's people in heritage and in heart. Makes sense. Nobody wants a worldly person leading God's people, right? So he's got to belong to, 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 the, to God's people in heritage and in heart. Second thing, a leader's got to demonstrate the capability to lead. Don't get me wrong. I want a super strong Christian as a leader, but it don't matter how strong of a Christian you are. If you don't have the ability to lead, you got no place leading. Right. I think, unfortunately, a lot of churches, a lot of Bible studies, a lot of classes and unfortunately, even a lot of homes are failing, not because people don't have a passion in a relationship with God, but because they don't have the ability. We put somebody in that position that doesn't have the ability to lead. But we're afraid to call it that because that hurt somebody's feelings. Right. If we tell them they just don't have the ability to to get it done, because it's not all about God equips certain people to do certain things and he equips other people to do certain things. That's not a negative thing. That's just to find your role and your job that God's blessed you with. So so easy. Second thing, leader got to demonstrate capability. To lead. Third, a leader has to have this is a must has to have an evident call from God. A call from God that they have that they know, but also a call. Now, now David knew his call, correct? I mean, he was there when they anointed him. He was there when when Goliath fell. He knew the Lord had something special going on in his life, but also an evident call on their life that other people begin to recognize. We had to get to this moment right here where even the people would come to David and say, you know what? We've been wrong. We acknowledge the fact that you really are God's appointed and called leader, because if you only appoint yourself to be leader, you're not going to have many followers that are happy with you. Right. Now, we get a whole lot of you, if you want to study a lot more and see just how big of an event this is. You know, one reason I thought last week was cool, and I, and I thought when Ed asked to, to do this this morning, well, I thought it was really cool. Big things happen in front of big groups. Meaningful groups, right? I mean, they, they just really do. You, you, you think about it. So if you want to, want to really check some stuff out and get more, more info in this chapter, the parallel chapter is 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 23 through 40. And it describes the same thing, the great assembly that, that gathers at Hebron and, and all that's going on, except for it throws out some bigger stuff. It says that the whole army came and the number of the soldiers that were there was 340,000 just men. You know, when you read this in Samuel, you're thinking, all right, a bunch of old guys, because they keep calling them elders, gathered around, had a huddle, appointed him king, and, and everybody went about their business. But when you read what really took place in Chronicles, man, you got 340,000 soldiers that's just soldiers. That don't count all the rest of the people. That don't count possibly their wives and children that were there. It describes the scene and it says these. And all these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make King David over all of Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind. That's what the church needs, folks. One mind. One mind. We get divided because we don't have one mind. One mind to make David king. And they were there with David three days. Three days. This was a party. This was not just a two-verse thing. They were there with David three days eating and drinking for their brethren had prepared, all that their brethren had prepared for them, for there was joy all over Israel. You see how much bigger this scene gets when we really start to investigate Scripture? That's why investigating Scripture is probably a little, a little more important than just reading, you know, one or two verses. You, you, get, you get the full story now. I mean, this was a, a large, large event. And what these verses are showing, not only how to look for a leader and what, what a leader should have, but now let's think about what David's supposed to have been this whole time, even in 1 Samuel. He's supposed to be a representation of Christ. So if he is, what's some other lessons we get when we look at Jesus as our king? J- just three real brief ones. This ain't going to be the big part, so, but, but jot these down because they're not in there, right? 
It acknowledges that you got to have a relationship. When they said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, all those, in order for Jesus to be your king, you've got to have a relationship with him. Now, I love the fact that he, even at Jesus, goes to a cross and sheds blood for us so we can get that blood relationship with him. All right, so, so, so we got that. We are connected with Jesus through blood. All right? And, and a genuine desire for anybody who, who wants what we call the salvation experience. You get a genuine desire to not only repent, but you get a genuine desire to serve God. I mean, you do. It's not just a, a one way or the other. You're saying goodbye to an old life, hello to a new life. You're now submissive to the Lord. And church, I'm be honest. You can't really have Jesus as your savior if, if you're not willing to make him your Lord also. Okay? It, it, it's a two-way kind of thing. Jesus can't be your savior if he's not your Lord. Second thing we see, so not only that relationship, which is way more than religion. Second thing, acknowledge of a responsibility. I mean, think about what, what the Israelites had just said. They remembered all the heroic deeds that David did. You did all this. We really have a responsibility to let you be our leader. But when I stop and think, especially for the last four weeks with the men upstairs and, and for the next three, and I've and I told this with the men and, and Cliff came up with a good idea. We're going to we're going to sit down and watch that passion of the Christ at the end of this whole thing. Um, you know, just cause, cause it's real, man. It's real. When I stop to think about what Jesus has done for me and for you and for even his enemies, you know, that, that's what blows my mind on the cross. He's talking to his enemies. You know, he's talking to a soldier just to this. He's talking to, to people that are abusing him and spitting on him and, and, and talking trash against him and all that. I think that makes enough of a case for me to bow down to him. I have a responsibility. Now, my responsibility isn't what saves me. My responsibility is a reaction because of salvation. Okay? But, but I have a responsibility, and they acknowledge that, and I think that's good, good illustration for Christ. And the third thing, just as obvious as it can get, you got to acknowledge a revelation. Church, hear me right now. Jesus is Lord. Do we agree? But he's not Lord because I say him, and he's not Lord because you say he is. He's Lord because Yahweh says he is, because his father said he is. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36, just to prove it. Then we'll jump back into the rest of these things in Samuel, right? Therefore, let all the house of Israel... Know with certainty, know with certainty, there should be no doubt in the believer. Know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God made him this, not us. This is not a man-made Savior, not a man-made Messiah, not a man-made King, not a man-made God. You know, Duke just read, they dropped all their idols and ran away. You can't drop your idol because he's not man-made. Right? You understand what I'm saying? He is, he is God made. He's father made. He's Yahweh made. He, he is self made. You know, and, and we can't even really wrap our minds and, and brains around how all that works, but we just have to know and have a knowledge of that revelation that God said and God made. And then we can follow through and admit just like the Israelites did. You know what? God was right. Yah was right. Verse four, back to Samuel. Says that David, we get a couple of little number things here. I just wanted to throw in so you can get some information as we've been studying. It says that David was 30 years old. That's one of the first times we get a, a firm marking of his age. All right. So he's 30. We know that he reigned in Hebron for how long? Okay. I heard somebody say four and you scared me like the pastor wasn't doing a good job. So I wanted to give you a cheat sheet. You do that with your students? Cheat sheets? Oh, I'm a bad teacher too. <laughs> so he reigned in Hebron for seven years. So now how old is he? No, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> Math is nobody's strong suit in the house of God. He's 30 now that he's king over everything. He reigned for seven years, which was previous. So, oh, oh now there we go. Hold on, Pastor. Not seven plus 30, 30 minus seven. Yes. Yeah, so how old is he? 23. All right. All right. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. We know that he, he was in the caves in the wilderness running from Saul for roughly 10 years. How old is he? Man, you, we're going to have math class after church, right? 30 minus 7, 23, 23 minus 10. You realize he was probably 13 when he took down Goliath? Yeah, that's what I said. I started doing numbers. I'm a big numbers guy, so I was into it when he listed his age. I've been wanting to figure it out. And I was like, dang. I think my boy is great, but I don't know if he's going to take down Goliath at 13. You know what I'm saying? Huh? You got to step it up, man. What is wrong with you? Right? You could, you could stretch it a little bit, guys, and say he was 15. 
But that's as far as I can stretch it, proven biblically with time frames and stuff that's given. So 13 to 15 when he took down Goliath. That means he was in training for 15 to 17 years. Now, some of y'all get called and think y'all got a calling and y'all get mad to God. You didn't get it tomorrow morning. You're mad that God didn't give it to you like yesterday when, when you first thought of it, right? You're, you're mad that God didn't just have it in a microwave pop up. And that's what we are. We're a microwave society. We want to be able to push the time and get it instantly. David had to wait 15. Not only was he waiting 15 to 17 years, church, he was waiting and still doing things right for the most part. We know he had some stumbles. But for the most part, he could have sped it up by sending his men to kill guys earlier, right? But when his men took it upon themselves to kill people early, he still got mad at them. He didn't want the authority without God being the one who placed him in authority. And neither should we. And neither should we. Self-appointed official people, (laughs) that's dangerous people. Keep that in mind as you watch politics and everything else, right? More time info we get right here. And I thought this was real neat, and I think Scripture has it there for a reason. It says that he reigned for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time to reign, church, especially in a time period like this. But being a numbers person, I looked at it. It took 15 years of preparation, roughly 15 to 17 years preparation. That ain't nothing compared to 40 years. He reigned four times longer than his period of preparation, right? Why? Because God uses great preparation for great tasks. You're going through great preparation right now because God's got a great task for you. Now, you got to follow and you got stuff you got to do. You got, as we just said, a responsibility. But if you stay in line with that responsibility, acknowledging that relationship and that revelation, God's got great, great things that he wants and can do through you. Don't let the great person or the great trials stop your perseverance oppression. on. Right. That's what we get with David, man. I think that I think that time thing is just God just throwing it out there. Just a little, you know, a little sugar on it. Let me let, me let you realize what's going on. Because some of you might have been like me. Some of you might have been feeling bad for David. I was. There was multiple times through first, Sam, first Samuel. I felt bad for David. I was like, golly, you know, even at Hebron in, in chapter two, I was like, how's the only how's the only king over one tribe right now? Man, what, what's the hold up? Right. But he gets there. He gets there. Then we get to verses six through eight. Not only does he get there. As the king and his men, it says that they, they, they went to Jerusalem. Verses six through eight, David goes and he captures Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now, up until this, this point right here, church, we got to remember some things here. Up until this time, Jerusalem or, or, or Jebulah was this small Canaanite city in the city in the center of Israel. 400 years has gone by since God commanded Israel to take the whole land from the Canaanites. But what did they do? I'm going to make you say one word. What did they do? They There it is. You got it, brother. They compromised. They compromised. And because they compromised, guess what wasn't theirs for 400 years when it was supposed to be? The city capital. The main place. The prime time place stuff was supposed to be. I love that David's first thing. Notice it, church. His very first thing once he gets all the nations united is he says, I'm going to go back and correct things that should have been corrected in the past. Why? And I pick on my own generation for this right here. We are so quick to want to blame previous generations for the crap we deal with right now, both in our schools with lack of prayer and the government and laws and everything else. And don't get me wrong. Some of y'all's older generations sure did screw some things up by not doing stuff. But it is poor, poor, pitiful me from my generation not to step up to the plate and say, I'm going to fix some stuff that got messed up long ago. David gets called, he gets appointed, he gets in his position, and the first thing he says is, I'm going to go back and get stuff straight that was supposed to have already been straight. I'm not going to compromise any longer. I'm not going to say, you know what, that was somebody else's mess up. He says, I'm going to start correcting what should have been corrected long ago. It was no different than what some of you uh, in here today and and, and, and 1,100 and something other people, because there was 1,200 people gathered at the pregnancy center banquet. No different than that. Something got messed up in the late 70s, early 80s and began to get corrupted more and more. And now we've got thousands of Christians that are finally stepping up and saying, you know what? Abortion is completely 100 percent wrong and we're going to try to change it as much as we can. And church, it's a drastic turnaround that's taking place. Don't let the news fool you. 
Pregnancy, or abortion clinics are closing left and right. Planned Parenthood is on the decline. There, there's been more babies rescued in the last five to ten years than ever before. Because finally somebody stepped up and said, I'm going to correct what was wrong so long ago. But if somebody hadn't stepped up and had a vision to start correcting it, how many more lives would we have lost? How many more future doctors, politicians that can finally start to correct stuff and do things right? How many more leaders? How many more warriors? How many diseases have we killed because the guy who is going to invent them or the lady who is going to invent them has no longer had a chance? We've got to start correcting things that were broken in the past and we've got to stop playing the blame game. We're on a team together. Let's do it together. David realized that. David acknowledged that. In the acknowledgement of that. Now, you've got to imagine how these guys right here felt. Look at what look at the words that they used. You know, if there's going to be a good fight, there's got to be some good trash talking, right? Now, am I right? Anytime there's ever a good fight, there's good trash talking. Watch MMA or anything else. Watch some, some dudes on this. I guarantee there was gangbanging trash talk before they were shooting at Miss Betty the other day. All right? Because that's the way young little punks are. They got to talk trash before they do anything. All right? Bring it. Bring it, baby. Right? Hey, he says this. You shall not come up in here. Our blind and our lame will repel you away. What are these guys really saying? Now, they're not just picking on the blind and lame. Now, I don't want to, because something David responds with, everybody wants to say he's picking on the blind and lame too. He, he doesn't because he goes and takes a, a very lame man here in chapter 9. And anyway, a whole different lesson. But, but, but what they're saying here is, man, we are so protected. We are so grounded in our territory and, and our city and our gates and our area. Our blind people and our lame people will keep you from coming up in this house. That's trash talking, right? They're overconfident and they're quick to mock David and his troops. But verse 7 says this, nevertheless, you got to love there's a nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, one, because it's got like three words in one, so it sounds really cool. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. Despite the difficulty, David and his men took what was supposed to be theirs. How many of us would have finally had an urge to do something right? Heard the trash talk and looked at how how the odds were stacked against you and not fulfilled what you were supposed to fulfill. Some of us get the passion, but I'm going to tell you, church, the passion don't go far enough and there's no action to back it up. You know what I'm saying? Passion don't go far if there's no action. That could work in a lot of areas of your life. Here's what it says. There's a million different debates on how they took this city. Only thing I got that's proven in the scripture is they used the water shaft somehow. All right. Some people said they went in the water shaft. Some people said they went over the water shaft. Some people said they cut off the water supply. I'm be honest. I don't care how they did it. They did it. And they used the water shaft to do it somehow. All right. I can tie lessons from, from all of them, but there's no need for me to speculate. What I know is they somehow used the water shaft and they got the job done. Because what does it say? They took the stronghold of Zion. What were their tidings? I don't know. But what I love is just like David, King Jesus conquers strongholds that we've had over our life for a long time. Doesn't he? Think about that. This is territory that should have been theirs a long time ago, and they're just now finally claiming what should have already been theirs. So, so church, I want you to ask yourself this. Now, write it down now or, or answer it now or answer it later. Answer it tonight when you get time to thinking or alone with God. Is there still something out there that you were supposed to claim that you haven't claimed? I think all of us got something. The question is, what is it? What am I supposed to have already claimed that I haven't claimed? What promise? What guarantee? What, what is it? Because David finally claims it 9 through 10. And here's what it says. Jerusalem becomes David's new city capital. It becomes a prime time spot. And, and, and we know why it was a good choice. We, we looked at, at the areas in, in, uh, in all the area previously at the beginning of battles in, in 1 Samuel. And here, here's where David gets real smart. This is the one city that's not only in the center. So geographically, the city made it easy to defend against hostile armies. We know that. It's prime time location because everybody is around it. But guess why else it's awesome? Remember all that compromising and how and compromise is bad. I'm not giving it any credit, right? But because of all that compromising, this is the one area that no tribe has owned yet. Are you connecting what's going on? David's smart enough to say, I need an area that no tribe has ties to to make the new center the capital of everything. Because if you had ties to your city and I had ties to my city and then they picked Mike City for the capital. Oh, no, no, no. I ain't going to like that. Why is it Mike City that's got to be the capital? Why can't it be my city? Isn't that how people would react? We don't want to admit it, but that's exactly what would have happened. 
So notice how, how beautifully genius David is. I'm, I'm going to make the capital not only one that is supposed to be, destined to be, perfect spot physically and everything else, but also nobody has association to this thing, so there'll be no argument. We'll be a unified front 100% and nothing to be able to stop it, right? Then it says this. And we get three lessons from this one verse. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. David became more and more powerful, and Yahweh God of hosts was with him. How many of us want to be great? All of us, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, man, I want to be average. You don't look in the mirror, brush your teeth, wipe your face down, say, all right, buddy, you're going to be average today. Or below average. Or poor, poor, pitiful me or any of that, right? You wake up, you look yourself in the mirror. If you got, if you're going to have be successful at all, I hope. So maybe, maybe that's some of y'all's problem. Y'all ain't been looking in the mirror the right way in the morning. Wash your face, brush your teeth, look in the mirror and say, you're going to be great today. But keep in mind some things right here because we get three lessons, right? What did, what did David do? What David did, he went. He went on. That's it. As simple as it can be, right? He went on. He kept pressing on. He didn't stop at any of the hiccups. He didn't stop at any of the negative things. He didn't stop at any of the the possible possibilities of difficulty. He went on. You want to be great, you got to go on. Stop stopping early. David went on. Second thing, what did David become? I just repeated the word 25 times. Don't make me say it again. Great. Or if you're looking on the screen, more and more powerful. That's a good answer too. You want power? No, I just want like a little bit of power. No, we want all the power. Nobody says I want a little bit. I want it all. You want high-speed internet or like just a little bit of the internet? I want the fastest internet you got. Right? Is that not how we would respond? So why is it any different with anything else? So so what did David do? He went on. What did David become? Great. More and more powerful. What did David have in order for all this to happen? Here's the biggest part. And Yahweh God of hosts was with him. What did David do? He went on. What did David become? Great. What did David have? The Lord. Can't become great. You can't keep going on if you don't have the Lord. Some of us are failing and some of us are falling and some of us aren't getting back up because we don't have the Lord. That's the real answer. We get him. Everything else will be worked right back to where it's supposed to be. Right. Right. Often those who become great among God's people have to experience a lot of pain and a difficulty in the training process. It was David's 15, 17 years. Man, he was getting trained. He was getting equipped for something great, right? But look at the greatness right here, verses 11 and 12. And some of these little verses are just like like additive details, but it's so hard to skip over because they're good. 11 and 12, David gets a palace. He gets a palace. They think so much of David. It says in verse 11, they built David a house. Right? That's showing that David had influence. David was important. Notice what else happens. Neighboring kings begin to honor him with the finest stuff they can bring. I'm going to bring him some wood. I'm going to bring him this. I'm going to bring him that. All this stuff. It even lists one of them. It says a relationship with Hiram. Hiram, the king of Tyre. Right? Here, here's what I love about even, even this little this little nugget right here of information. Not only are, there, are people getting stuff right, David's not just a warrior who can win fights. David actually knows how to play political alliances in a good way. In a good way. Why? Because we are supposed to be expanding the kingdom, correct? So, so he's trying to expand things. He's getting, getting stuff right. Why? Verse 12. Because David knew. David could do all these things. And it says, so that David knew. What, you got to ask, what did David do? What, what did he know? What did he know? He can't say knew that much without the hand. What did David know, right? What did he know? He, he knew that the Lord had established him. Look, look at verses 12 right there. He knew that the Lord had established him, that God had called him, and that God was going to be the one that was going to put him here, right? What else did he know? He knew that he had exalted his kingdom. This ain't David's kingdom. It wasn't Saul's kingdom. This is God's kingdom. Right? There's where churches get in trouble sometimes. They want it to be this person's church and that person's church and so-and-so's church. No, this is the Lord's church. All right? I'll never forget when people ask me why I was taking names down off windows and off the back of pews. Because your name don't need to be in the house of the Lord. If you don't like that, too bad. Donate your money to something else. I don't care. I mean, you know what I'm saying? If you donated to get your name in the house of the Lord, you donated for the wrong reason, so I don't think the Lord wants it. Right? Call, it call it like it is. Alright? There it is. Third thing he realizes, that this was for the sake of his people. That ass cool. Because he's also acknowledging now, not, not only is, is this the Lord's kingdom, not only is the Lord doing this stuff, not only is the Lord calling, but David's acknowledging the fact that I'm a channel 
that God is using to bless others. All of believers would grab a hold of that sometime, right? That we are a channel used for the sake of God to bless other people. And then we get to 13 through 16. And while I love all the little small details of goodness that scripture throws in, now we get how dumb David is. And I tell you, he ain't perfect. That's why he can only be a representative of Christ and not Christ. Look at what happens. 13 through 16. David gets him a bunch of wives. Everybody say, David ain't perfect. All the women say men are stupid. Wow, you were really quick on that. You were shaking your head. You were, I don't know what you did wrong, but you better fix it this week. <laughs> men, men, understand me here now. All kidding aside. David's known for what? A man after God's, my goodness, if we ain't got what David's known for, church, I'm going to go back to the very end. We're going to preach through Samuel again. I'm going to ask one more time or I will start back over. You won't get lunch till tomorrow morning, right? What is David known for in scripture? The only man. Thank you. So he's a good guy, right? Not a perfect guy, but a good guy. What is his number one stumble that happens over and over and over and over again? Women. I'm just giving you a warning. <laughs> Men are now. Do we get to say women are evil? No, because you have to go home and sleep with your wife and you don't want that. All right. <laughs> Here's the thing we got to understand, guys. He's a man after God's own heart. He, he really wants to be and is on. Every time he stumbles, he turns around and repents. Okay, so I'm not I'm not taking away from David getting stuff right. But his number one struggle over and over, I think this should be a huge red flag for men, is women. Every single time. Every single time. There's a reason. Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. You know, we're not we're called to fight against all sins except for one man. What is it? We know it in the upper room because we talk about it, right? Flee from youthful lusts. What are your youthful lusts? Don't answer that out loud, right? I know it's a pickup truck with big mud tires. Amen, Colton, way to go, right? (laughs) Or one coming from Texas, (laughs) right? Flee from it. And here's why, and here's what we need to understand. This is a good and bad thing. The reason you can't handle it, men, is because that's a God-given passion for you. Think about it. What we just read in Genesis. Right after he gives him the woman, what's he tell him? Keep it PG. It is kids haven. Right? What's he tell him though? Be fruitful, multiply. Meaning I've given you a passion for something so that we can expand this thing. You can't fight God given passion. Right? You're an idiot if you think you can. God gave you this passion. That means you need red flags and boundaries set up because you can't handle it. Right? Are we understanding where I'm going? If not, we'll kick the kids out and I'll go deeper. Right? Okay, all right, we're good. I just want to make sure there's no way I can look over David getting all these concubines and not remind you guys of how much trouble you can get in, okay? There's a reason Scripture points this out. And then we're goofy enough when we read this. By the way, he's breaking Deuteronomy chapter 17, 17, which we've looked at multiple times that kings shouldn't have multiple wives. So breaking that, that heritage. Verse 13, it says this. And I had to apologize to Duke. I was so excited for him to read being back in on the schedule, getting on Sundays and all. And, and it, was a, it was a battle chapter. You know, it was cool man stuff. And, and then I got about halfway through and I was like, man, I forgot about all these names. But he did an awesome job. I'm not going to read none of those. What I'm going to read is he had more sons and daughters. <laughs> I sum it up. Good job, Duke. I'm not as good, right? Here's, here's the trouble we get into, though, guys. We sometimes think, and not always against this. Now, remember, there's boundaries and everything, right? But we fall in the trap of thinking that God is blessing David with more women, that God is blessing David with more children. That's a lie. The Bible is recording things that happen, not things that should have happened. You, you get it? And here's how I can prove it right here. Most, if not all, I'm, I'm scared to say all because I hadn't checked it, but most of David's troubles come from what? His relationship with women and the kids that followed. Do we understand that? So if you want to be one of the ones that say, God is, no, God is cursing him. Really? I'm not, I'm not being dead serious. Think about this. Think about what's happening. Read David's life later. Every trouble he gets into just about that I can think of. And honestly has to do with a relationship he wasn't supposed to have or kids that he shouldn't have had because of the relationship that he had. Right? So, so, so keep that in mind. And, and therein is where you get this next part right here. And I think it's really good, but I can't remember who I stole it from. Seeds, uh, it is often true that the seeds of our future trouble are sown in times of great success and prosperity. Yeah, that's what I said when I read it. 
It is often true that the seeds to our future trouble are sown in times of great success and prosperity. In some ways, David handled trials better than he handled success. He gets successful, and what's he get? Sin. What sin produced? Trouble. Right? And then there's where it goes. Now, I'm glad we only get a couple verses on that. I think those, I think those periodic things about David, they just know that make us keep us in check that David is just a man. Right? And that God can still use fallen people to do great things. Right? Because then we get right back to verse 17, which is where I want to spend the rest of time. 17 through the rest. Now we get some battle. Last couple scenes we get. David has to fight Israel's old enemies. Look at 18. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves. Do you realize your successes will bring challenges? Think about this. David's just now reigned king. Everything is going great for David. Finally. We just had a three-day party. I got some new women, which is bad. I got kids that are going to come about from that, which is bad. Right? But in a worldly sense, everything's looking really, really good. Finally. And then verse 17 through 19 says, And the Philistines came to them. You realize your enemy will come to you and fight you sometime? You realize that? It says that the Philistines went and they deployed themselves. David's success brought challenges from the outside. God's at work, church. Don't get me wrong. But the devil's at work too. God's working in your life. Don't get me wrong. But, but the devil's going to work in your life too. Right? Look at how smart the Philistines are. It is best to fight your enemy and attack your enemy at the beginning of their new reign. Think about this. They got a new king. They got new, new leadership taking place. That's when we, if we're going to attack, this is the time to attack. That's why I'm so scared for new believers sometimes. So I'm scared. They get a new reign, new king, new, 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 new authority, right? New, new, new perspective on things. That's when the enemy attack. Because that's also why everything is, is, is happy and good and getting to be your strongest moment. You're also at your weakest moment because you haven't handled how to do all the changes and understand scripture and, and, and get everything and use everything, use all the resources that's around you. Right. That's when your enemy will attack first. Then this next thing. And here's a phrase that gets repeated multiple times, not only in this chapter, but later on in this book and previously in this book, verse 19. But David inquired of the Lord. But David inquired as David sought God, he looked for God's guidance to get this stuff done. David was smart enough to ask for God's leadership. Now, here's why I want you to understand. I'm saying he's smart enough. This is not an obvious prayer time. I don't know if everybody's understood what's happening up until now. They kicked butt when they only had one tribe. Now they got all the tribes. This is one of the first times that David is leading a battle that numbers are actually getting to be on his side. This is an obvious answer is what I want you to understand. David's got all the tribes united and these little jokers want to come on over and fight. This ain't time for prayer. This is time for butt kicking. But David is smart enough to know I never want to do any battles without the leadership of the Lord, the guidance of the Lord. So he stops even in an church when you're in an obvious moment. Stop and pray. Stop and pray. So what David does, David stops even at this obvious moment. He says, God, do you want me to? Do you want me to, God? And here's some really cool stuff that's in your connection, I think, man. Because we're always asking this right here. When's God going to break through and how God's going to break through, right? I, I, I do. Maybe you guys don't. I get in some little dark moments sometimes and I want to know, God, when's the breakthrough coming and how's it coming? Like I want a detailed list of how this is going to take place so that I know how to handle everything. Maybe you guys are more faithful than me, and, and God bless you if you are, but I, I just ask God those things sometimes. Sometimes I get an answer. Sometimes he says, sit back and watch, right? <laughs> Most often than not, he says, sit back and watch. But <laughs> David gives us some answer right here. Always follow through. Watch this right here. First thing we notice, the Lord breaks through in the midst of a battle. Well, well hold on. Hold on, pastor. David just now become king. He's supposed to be able to sit with his feet up, collect some taxes, keep everybody happy, live the easy life. You would you would at least expect after 15 to 17 years of training that when he becomes king, God going to give him at least one easy first task, right? You got work to do, though. That's right. God says you took the city you were supposed to take, but y'all still ain't eliminated the people you were supposed to eliminate. So I'm going to bring them on up to you. That's what's, what's happening, right? Now, now, now notice this because we'll come to church. Waiting on our breakthrough and, and, and not to deter you from coming to church. But I'll be honest with you. Breakthrough don't always happen at church. 
We go to spiritual conferences. I'm going to get a breakthrough at that conference. Not to say they don't happen, but just being honest. More often than not, they don't. You know where most often spiritual breakthroughs happen? In the battle. In the battle. Because it's when you're in the battle. Most spiritual breakthroughs happen when you're in the battle. Because it's in the battle that you realize your resources stink and you need the Lord the most. That your resources aren't enough and I've got to start trusting in God more than ever before. David's got all the resources. Finally, guys. Finally. He doesn't let this. They make success sometimes go to his head, but not this time. He's finally got all the resources. He's finally where God called him to be. Scary moment for believers. So you get this warning. When everything's going well, beware. David is still smart enough to say, Lord, I want to seek out what you want. Despite all the resources and stuff I got. Okay? And there's where he's at. We trust in the Lord then. Second thing. When a breakthrough coming, a breakthrough is coming through somebody who's willing to fight. You sitting on the sidelines, not in the battle, you probably ain't getting a breakthrough. You want to know why some of you don't get a breakthrough in church? It's because you don't get into church. And I don't just mean the building, by the way. You don't get involved in the body. You don't actually worship when you're supposed to be worshiping. You don't actually praise God when you're supposed to be praising the Lord. You don't actually study scripture when you're supposed to be studying scripture. You don't actually hear what I'm saying when I'm speaking. You don't actually listen to testimonies that are going and prayer times that are coming and want to lift other people up. Because you're not willing to get involved. Because you're scared of whatever might come. Right? We're scared of change. We're scared of what might happen. We're scared of this. We're scared of that. What would it go back to the abortion thing? What would have happened if people didn't start getting involved and making sure women really knew what was happening when they chose abortion? Can you imagine how awkward and scary that first conversation was? Now, I'm not going into them this morning, but I can tell you right now, if you get a chance to listen, that woman gave some details that I never thought I would hear. But it was the truth and it needed to be known because as long as something stays in darkness, it can keep continue to go on. When something brought forth the light, it can't happen no more without people knowing we got to start bringing forth the truth into the light so the darkness can now begin to flee away. Cut on flashlights, Christians. Light some candles. Right? Light casts away darkness. Right? There's not even a shadow of light. Y'all will be all home today with a candle doing that old trick. Look at Dang, pastor's right. There really ain't no shadow of the flame. No, there ain't no shadow. Because darkness ain't got no place for light. Right? Look at verse 19. Go back to it. 19's got a lot of our lessons. David inquired Yahweh. Should I go? He's praying. Will you hand them over to me? Yahweh replies, go. I'll certainly hand them over to you. What if he wasn't willing to go, though? Then he wouldn't have got his breakthrough. He wouldn't have got his breakthrough, right? Life is a battle, church. Life's a battle. I, and I'm going to tell you now, I told, I told a couple people this week, some, some moments of this week, not only for, for baby Parker and another family we got to pray over while we were down at the hospital, which, by the way, I'll add to that testimony a little later. But, 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 but I'm going to tell you right now, Nobody, in the words of Rocky Balboa, we said last week, nobody hits as hard as life. Life is hard. And I understand that some of us are worn out and some of us are afraid, right? But, but here's what I also acknowledge in scripture. We gotta be willing to fight. Some of us are just content and happy with life the way it is and we don't want to change because we can handle what we got right now. Just because you can handle what you got right now don't mean you can handle what's coming. Right? We got to fight. Whatever the cause, there will be no spiritual breakthrough if we don't get into battle. Breakthroughs happen with those that are willing to fight. Then we get two more lessons right there in 19 that we just read through, right? The Lord breaks through those who engage in meaningful prayer. This ain't just a, Lord bless the food, forgive me for all my sins, amen. You know what I'm saying? This is a meaningful prayer. Lord, I want to know if you want me to go fight the Philistines. And if you want me to, I also want to know how you want me to go fight them. Not only if I can, but how should I? See, we need a two-part prayer a lot of times in life, right? And then the Lord does it. The Lord breaks through in response to the prayer. So if you're saying, well, I, I want this breakthrough, but I'm not praying. But if the Lord breaks through in response to prayer, guess what you ain't getting? You ain't getting the breakthrough because you just now put in blocks. Right there, God can only go that far. You've, you've now tried to limit God, which we try to do all the time, right? You go to God. There's another thing now when we're praying this. You go to God for a direction. You don't go to God to tell him the direction you want to go. Everybody got that? David said, God, what you want me to do? How often is it we pray and we say, God, you know the job I want? You know the wife I want? You know the kids I want? You know the trophy I want? You know the truck I want? It ain't a 96 Honda. 
Right? <laughs> right? Think about it. It really is 9600. I want to allow people to get your guest marks. So, right? But think about it. Think, think about this thing right here, right? We got to understand this. You got to ask God what He wants. God, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? I'm going to share something with you guys and don't take this at a hundred percent thing because we really, we really haven't talked and established a 100% thing, right? We, we visited Carolina. Everybody almost knows Crystal's going back to school and all, right? We visited Carolina and I prayed, Lord, I want as many signs as you can line up. Didn't even tell Crystal. I said, I'm just going to keep my eyes open. God, I want, I want it to be what you want. She got accepted to multiple schools. So, so it wasn't, wasn't a guarantee she had to go there or anything like this. There's a left-handed teacher. Y'all wouldn't think nothing of it. My wife's left-handed. Ain't many left-handed people. I don't know why the Lord let me recognize this lady was left-handed. And then I realized, hold on, that's a sign. We happened to park where, where the window of the class we sat in and got to visit. The car was right there. I, I looked down and I just happened to know. I had to start laughing. Like stuff I would never notice, I just began to notice over. And it was just that. It was about 25 other things along the way. Then the following Wednesday, and I would do it 100%, so this isn't a negative thing. I had to drive downtown for baby park, or this Wednesday, for baby parker surgery. Right? Which is where the other school would have been. It took me longer to get downtown than it took me to get to Columbia because of downtown's godforsaken traffic. And while I'm sitting in traffic, normally I don't like traffic. That's why I work in Ridgeville, right? <laughs> normally I don't like traffic. While I'm sitting in traffic, I just start laughing. I just start laughing because I realized it was just another sign. And that, the guy can change signs. I'm not saying he can't. We're going to talk about changing the way you fight here in just a real quick second, right? So I'm not saying. But but here here, here here's where I got to confess in part. So, so this week we get some information on the financial sides of stuff. Big difference. All right. We're going to use big difference as a number. Big difference. My first thought, well, maybe we should go back to the other school. How am I going to pray for God to give me signs? And I'm not saying the financial thing can't be a sign. Now that's what I'm saying. But one little hiccup, maybe that was the one little thing the devil was attacking while God was working. And I'm not saying which was which yet, right? I just want us to understand that one little thing. And instantly I went back to my, my human desire of, of oh, hold on, I can't, I can't go, we can go the other way then. Why are we so quick to backpedal when God's been lining other stuff up all along? Right? I hope that relates to more than just me. Oh, God, just give me a sign. God, just give me a sign. I'm throwing you 50 of them. How many more you need? You get one sign that goes the other direction and you want to travel it, right? Let's be honest now, right? Now, now let's go back to David and look at David. What is David? A warrior. You better bet your bottom, and I can't say I know this. I, let me say right here. I don't know for sure if David wanted to fight. I can bet my bottom dollar standing in between my opinion and scripture that David was ready to go bust some Philistine hiding. Right? I guarantee it. He's a warrior. He's wanting to get stuff right. They done called him out. You know, you know what I'm saying? You can't call out a warrior. When you call out the warrior in somebody, you, you ain't going to be surprised at what you get. Okay? Challenge accepted. That's right. We about to do this thing. But he still stops. Why? Because now he's king. He has to think about, it. am I supposed to be risking the lives of my people? Am I supposed to be going into this battle? Is this the right time to fight this battle? Are we really united enough to go into this? So he stops right there and says, God, should I fight or not? Which just him asking this, by the way, also gives us a little tiny lesson of sometimes there's a time to fight and sometimes there's a time not to. Because if it would have been obvious and we should fight all the time, I don't think we would have had this little lesson in here. But just because this lesson's here showing us, sometimes there's a time to fight and sometimes there's not a time to fight. But David wants to know what God's will is on the matter. David wants to make sure he understands, God, what's your plan? What's your vision on what's going through? And there's how we get the last lesson. Verse 20, the Lord breaks through when his people obey God's word. You got to get into battle. You got to be willing to fight. There's got to be a prayer, a response to prayer, an engagement of prayer on purpose. And then you got to obey. Because if you leave all those other things up and then leave out the obey, you've missed it. Look at verse 20. So David went. David went. Where are you supposed to be went into? Huh? Where are you supposed to be went into, church? I know that ain't good English, but it's what the word says in scripture. Right? Where are you supposed to be went into? David went. David went, and when he went, things happened. And he won, and he fought, and he got this thing. Now notice this now, because sometimes we'll pray and we'll ask God for a second opinion. David, uh, God said go. David didn't say, hold on, I'm going to need a second opinion on that. 
He, he didn't try to tell God, hold on now, I, I need to make sure you understand this thing, right? David obeyed because he believed. So therefore, when you don't believe, what are you telling God? I'm not going to obey. God wants us to trust him enough to do what he says, when he says to do it, and how he says to do it. Despite all the rest of the stuff, right? So David's in this battle. He's willing to fight. He prays. He gets an answer. And he did it. And look at the rest of verse 20. What's the result of doing it? So David went to Baal Prezerim and he defeated them there. He defeated them. He won is what that means. And he said like a bursting flood. That's what that Baal Pur is. Pur, whatever it says, right? That's the English version. Yahweh has burst out against my enemies before me. Therefore, he named this place the Lord breaks through. Think about what David's describing. All those enemies lined up ready to fight. And he says the Lord just busts through like a giant wave taking care of everything. Taking care of it. Taking care of everything so much. Verse 21 is not on the screen. But look at verse 21. Verse 21, it says that they got defeated so bad they dropped all their idols and ran away. Now, you know you got your butt kicked when you dropped the thing that was supposed to be your prized possession and ran away. I mean, they dropped everything and was gone out of this, right? Gone. And I wish the story would have just stopped with verse 20. Sometimes. Because here's another lesson we get. Don't think doing it once is going to get it done. Don't think doing it once is going to get it done. Because you beat temptation one time, don't think you're going to beat it every time. Right? Because you was a good steward once, don't think you're going to be a good steward all the time. Right? Because you stopped the sin one time, don't think you're going to stop it every time. Right? One battle ain't enough. Verse 22. And the Philistines came up at him again. Came up at him again. Church, we in a war, not a battle. War's got lots of battles, right? 22 to 25. David gets smart. I told you it was repeated. Verse 23. David inquired of the Lord again. Now, I'm thinking from a worldly side, if all your numbers said go and you, and you didn't go, I'm glad you paused it and you prayed. This time, you done beat them once. It should be obvious, right? Don't always take the obvious answer. Stop and pray. Stop and pray. It says that David inquired of the Lord. David was wise enough to know that he needed the Lord's advice for the second battle as well. It's easy for us to say, I fought this before. I know it'd be easy, right? We need to never get to the point where we tell God, I got this. Think about it. You don't believe it. Think about it this way. You remember the spies back in the book of Numbers? They went, they went and gazed on the promised land and they come back. And what'd they say? Oh, they were giants. They were so big. We can't do it. Two spies had, had reports about how big the grapefruits or, uh, grapes were and all that stuff. But the rest of them, so big it was. So what did God tell them? No, 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 no. What did he tell them? Because you have no trust and faith to follow me, you won't get it. Read Numbers. There's a whole lot more to the story than just them going there, not getting it, come back. Because it also says in the book of Numbers that they were dumb enough to think they could do it without God. You remember that part? They said, hold on now, God, you had told us before that we could have it. Now you tell us we can't. We're going to go without you, God. Never go anywhere without God. Because what happened then? They got whooped. That's a good southern term right there. What happened to them? They got whooping. Right? They got whooping. They got whoop cream on them. Right? <laughs> oh, God's good, right? Hey, we can't follow God without God. That seems real obvious, but it needs to be said. We can't follow God without God. We can't, we can have religion without Christ. And sometimes that's our problem, right? Maybe even the problem as good as stuff sounds now. Maybe the problem is we get more in love with the things of God than we do God himself. You realize you can love the church and not love Yahweh? Now that sounds weird to say, but it's true. I know people like it. You can even love the cross, but not love what was on the cross and done on the cross. Right? You can love these things without loving Yahweh. David always triumphed when he sought and when he obeyed God. Verse 23, the answer. The answer is real important. Not only does he say, Lord, should I go? God's answer. You shall not go up. Hold on, God. We just now fought the same people and you told us to go up and take care of business. This time we fighting the same people and you're telling me not to go up. You realize you can fight the same enemy, but you better fight him different ways sometimes. Hmm? Because what's he say? You shall not go. You shall circle around them. God's directing David differently in this battle, even against the same enemy, because not every battle is the same. Sometimes you need a fresh look. 
Sometimes y'all fighting the same battles over and over because you keep fighting them the same way. And I'm going to be honest, insanity's doing the same thing repeatedly, expecting a different result. It's no different when it comes to fighting. Y'all fighting y'all's houses over the same thing over and over and over again because y'all doing the same thing over and over again. If it ain't working, fight a different way. Now, I'm not saying fighting's wrong because the makeup part's great, right? But don't fight the same way over dumb stuff. Sometimes you got to get a different, fresh look, a different perception, perspective on this stuff. Get a different approach. That's what he's telling them. He goes, no, this time, this time you're going to do it a different way. And we read stuff like this, church. I know somebody in the building right now is thinking, how is it that such supernatural directions and assistances from God don't happen today? Because we don't pray the same. Yeah, right. It ain't happening to you because you don't pray the same. And you don't pray the same because you don't have the same expectation. You think when David prayed these prayers, he really didn't expect God to answer? I think he expected God to answer instantly at that moment. Right? Y'all laugh. I'm down there at, at, at Parker Surgery, and he's supposed to come out at 10, but they had taken him in uh, almost an hour later before they actually started surgery. I, I walked down to the bathroom, and I just prayed, Lord, I want him to come out the same time he's supposed to come out. I don't care that it started an hour later. You want to know what came out at 10.05? A doctor that gave me a heart attack because it took mom and daddy to a separate room. And he ain't did that the whole time we was all there. I wanted to punch that dude in the nose. You know what I'm saying? He done come out every time and went up in front of everybody. Everything's going good. We got Parker. Da, 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 da. Go back to it. Go back to work, right? He comes in this time. And he says, uh, Mr. and Ms. Mackey, can I take y'all? I said, oh, no, he ain't going to. I'm like the nosy little kid looking down the hallway. Come on, stick your head out the window. Give me something, right? Heather sticks her head out the window. Tears rolling down. Thumbs up. I said, all right, I'll take it, right? Right? God, God still does great things, guys. We just don't have the faith to ask him sometimes. Right? Something as simple as that. Look at verse 24. The Lord will go out before you and strike the camp of the Philistines. Wow. Why don't you go the same way? Because the Lord needs to take care of some stuff before you go that way. That's what he's saying. You get that? He's saying you can't go right now and you can't go straight because if you go straight, you're going to get there too early. And if you get there too early, you're not going to win the way you're supposed to win. So what I need you to do is I need you to make the circle. Well, well, Lord, the straightest path is a straight arrow. It's not a circle. I didn't ask what the straightest path was. What I'm telling you is the time you need to get there. So you make the circle. And, and while you're making the circle, I want you to hang out by the trees. Because while you're hanging out by the trees, it's when you hear the rustling in the trees that you'll know it's time to go fight. Now, I'm be honest, I don't get all into what the rustling in the trees was, but there's 50 million ideas out there, okay? There's one idea. Here's, here's my first thought. I give you mine because I'm just simple-minded. I thought maybe the marching was so loud it made the trees shake and it caused some ruffling in the leaves. Somebody told me cherubims don't come down and angels come down and, and shoot the trees. As about, I don't care. I believe they can happen if they did good, if they didn't, whatever. If God wanted to send a wind and rattle the trees and make them shake, that was good enough for me. Because all he told them was, you make the circle, you get by the trees, and when you hear the rustling in the leaves, then you go to fight. What kind of rustling in the leaves you hear? Be honest with yourself. What kind of rustling in the leaves are you hearing? Do you realize the rustling that you're hearing is the signal that God is at work and it's time for you to join in? You realize that's what he's really telling them? He says, you're going to hear a rustling and you're going to know that I went before you and set this thing up the right way. Then you get involved. When we sense that the Lord is at work, we got to jump quick and get involved. When God is moving in something, get quick and involved. Get quick and involved on it. Jump on the things and do things that we're supposed to do. We're in spiritual warfare, right? So therefore, we should be absorbing and obeying the motions of the spirit. Because the motion of the spirit is what should be leading every believer to do or not do the things that they're supposed to be doing or not doing. Now, the King James, King James Version says something uh, a little different. I'll give, you, I'll give you both the home and also. Verse 24. When thou hearest the sound of the going of the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. The Holman translation of Christian Sandlazy says, then you should act decisively. I like both of them. But here's what you need to know, believers, because a lot of us, we, we cling to those moments of, oh, we're supposed to encourage other people and other people are supposed to encourage us. You realize there's going to come a time when you need to stir yourself up. 
That's what the verse is saying. The verse is saying when you see the spirit of the Lord begin to work and you hear the rustling of the trees, then stir yourself up and get to work. Don't sit around waiting on somebody else to do it. Don't wait on some uplifting sermon to get you going. Don't wait on a powerful music song or, or something like that to fire you up. No, the hype up time is over. The hype up time is the spirit moving and the spirit rustling the trees. And that ought to give you enough to get involved. Or, or as the Holman translation puts it, to act decisively. You know what act decisively means? Pick away and go. Same thing we tell, we tell the running backs, you know, you got to pick a hole and go. You don't get to just sit there at the line and dance around and, well, daddy, I didn't know which hole to hit. Well, you better hit one of the holes and go. Because a couple yards of positive is better than negative yards, right? Hit it and go. Act decisively. Make a decision. Follow the biggest man, right? God is the biggest man. Am I right? So we should, that works too. I'll take it. Amen. Huh? Huh? Church, when we see God at work, here's the things that should be happening. We hear the rustle of the tree. It should awaken our prayer and devotion to God. We should get woke up. We ought to not need. Now, I'm grateful. Whatever his motives were, I don't care. Because I know half y'all tell me out the back door how awesome he is. And the other half will tell me how corrupted the idea was. I don't give a lick. Everybody understand that? But I think it's awesome that we got Facebook and social media everywhere with the president saying today's the National Day of Prayer. Whatever his motives are, I don't care. I think it's great. But I also think it's sad that Christians need somebody to declare a day of prayer rather than just make every day a day of prayer. Because when I read scripture, it says pray without ceasing. It says never stop praying. It says stay in constant communication with your father so you know the constant direction thou shalt be going. Right? I'm glad we got it, but I don't think we ought to have to have it to get the job done. Right? We hear the rustling of the trees. It should awaken the sound of prayer and devotion. Or better this, the time of crisis and the time of tragedy sometime is the rustling of a mulberry tree, right? Crisis appoints you, right? Tragedy appoints you. Maybe it's trying to wake you up for a time of confession and repentance. Maybe it's maybe it's your time for, for a turnaround. I, I love, man, when I read this section of David, now again, David's not perfect, guys. He's not. But but I love when I read this. We got a king that, that doesn't just do crisis management. You go back, I, I do a lot of a lot of leadership studies. I want to be a I want to be a good leader. And you look at Saul and you look at David, probably two of the greatest ones to to to, to uh, study together and understand differences. Every time Saul fought, it was crisis management. It was because he didn't have another choice. He only dealt with things he could not avoid. David? David's dealing with a problem that the people before him avoided. It ain't even his problem, really. It was somebody else's problem that they didn't do. And he's still getting success from it. Maybe we ought to start fixing up some past mess-ups. Maybe we ought to start getting stuff back on the right path to going. Right? I mean, this city that that we're looking at with, with, with the Jebulites, David understood that was God's promise a long time before. David refused. Here's what he refused. And here's why I wanted that word coexist or uh, what was the word we used? Um, compromise. David refused to coexist with a people group that everybody before him had been coexisting with. You know, it's all right to do a little house cleaning in God's house. I'm serious. It's all right, because sometimes we're not called to coexist with certain beliefs and doctrines. It's OK to coexist with some different the- or not coexist okay do some house cleaning with some different theology and beliefs it's okay to actually get to a point in your beliefs and your studies where you say you know what just because this is the way they did it in the past and it was messed up it don't mean i got to do it this way in the future right you don't have to coexist it's time for you to stand up and say you know what it's time for it to be a little difficult because difficult things produce great things right and it's worth it in the end right because what happens in the end of this thing this victory instead of instead of coexisting they, they get victory. They prevail. Here's what's awesome, guys. Israel and her king get a status of respect and fear among the nations for a long period of time. They get the job done. And the reward is great behind it. You want to sum up this chapter of chapter five? Here it is. It's men's response to God's king. They've been trying to stop it for so long. Abner, Saul, Ishmael. A million other people and a million other tribes and a million other men trying to resist David to the throne. But it was God's will the whole time. Restriction, man's restrictions will never stop God's will. Man's restrictions will never be able to stop God's will. That's why scripture tells us to what? Trust in the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord always. Well, if I'm trusting in God, that means I know he's got it even when I don't. It means he's got the solution. To my problem means he's got the answer to my question. 
The real question then is, one, are we going to get in a fight and even ask God about it? And when he gives us an answer, if it ain't the answer we wanted, are we going to follow through on obedience? Let's pray. Father God, I love you this morning, God. I love your word. I love this morning's service, God. I love what you've done with this part of the story, Lord. And I pray now, Lord God, that you do even more with it in the hearts, the minds, Lord God, the emotions, the the educational side of us, Lord God. God, open our open our minds and our hearts, Lord God, to see what you want to do inside of us. God, make it more than a, than a historical account of a story, Lord God. Make it be real life lessons that we can tie in. Lord, call us forth right now. Rustle the, the, the trees, God, right now. Whether it be toward uh, getting stirred up or whether it be, be, be toward fixing things up, Lord God. But God, I pray that we hear the rustling of the leaves, Lord God, so that we know your spirit is at work and we've been called to follow at this exact moment, this time. God, let us stop making excuses. Let us stop blaming things. Let us stop that stupid phrase of that's the way it's always been. God, move us in such a special way, Lord God, that nobody can deny that it was your spirit leading and our obedience following. God, make us like David and those Israelites that day, Lord God, where the nations look around and they have to acknowledge that you are Yahweh, the one true God. God, I believe they dropped that idols that day, Lord God, because they realized their idols were nothing compared to you. Make us, Lord God, the same type of servants today for others to see. In your great name we pray. Amen.